Well, I uh, hope you enjoyed that awkward silence during the offering. Normally we have music, but um, I can rarely play the guitar anymore. Uh, and I forgot my kazoo. So, anyhow, uh, we're going to start our sermon this morning. And uh, we are starting a new sermon series. It's called Big Words for Living. Ten Words from the Book of Romans. I thought long and hard about this title. And so I'm using this morning to explain it, to really get into just the title of the sermon. Uh, specifically, I want to examine two questions this morning. As we begin this, this I, I feel like will be a very beneficial uh, series and look in God's Word. First question, why does God choose to communicate using such big words? And the second question, how are they helpful for living? Alright, big words for living. I want to begin with a premise I hope that we can all agree on. The Bible both includes words and phrases that are both simple and straightforward, right? But also includes words and phrases that uh, to us are the equivalent of Charlie Brown's teacher, right? You read some things, wah, 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 kind of thing, right? When you read the Bible, is this the case? Like, what's going on? I have no idea. I don't know what this means. I don't to get into this. Simple. You have verses like uh, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. All right, simple, straightforward. Or Mark 12, 30 and 31. Right, where Jesus says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And he says the second command is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. He says, there are no other commands greater than these. Now, these aren't easy to follow, right? But they're straightforward. Simple, right? Then, there's what I like to call next versers. Alright? These are, when you're reading along the Bible and you approach something strange, you'll give it maybe half a verse, right? You might read a study note, if you've got one of those kind of Bibles. But if it doesn't show itself for who it really is, you're moving on, right, to the next verse. That's how it kind of works. If you're a bit, bit more familiar with Scripture, you spot these next verses a little more quickly, right? And uh, you know, our tendency isn't to pray harder about it or investigate harder, but rather you can spot it quicker. Coming up, oh, here's this part. I'm going to skip it, all right? God, what do you really want to say to me today? It's not going to be this word, which I don't understand. One of these is uh, Matthew 18, 18. One of these kind of phrases or verses where Jesus says this. Truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. First of all, you probably didn't know that loose was a verb. Right? I didn't. And so I read this verse. Alright, difficult. What does this mean? I, I didn't begin to interpret this. Whatever I bind on earth. If that's the case, man, I'm binding my LCD television. Right? So then it might be bound in heaven on my wall. My wall in my great mansion in heaven. Right? If I loose my dog into the field on earth, it shall be... No. There are no TVs in heaven. Alright? Only the image of God. And... There are no dogs in heaven either. Alright, so... Sorry. <laughs> that just rocked some of your worlds, didn't it? I'm sorry about that. Alright, 
So I have to speak the truth. They don't have a solar spirit, so I have to say it to it sometime. We're going to look at some crucial words for salvation. You can laugh. It's fun. All right. We're going to look at some crucial words for salvation during this series. All right. Words like law. Words like justification. Words like sanctification. Words like glorification. Right? Words that in the Bible are very important words, but hard. Why does God do this? Simple answer is because he is divine. The Bible can be described as God making a connection between himself and humanity. So there's always something greater than us, always something beyond this world that's being communicated. And we love that about God, right? We're so mired in the everyday of this world and the troubles of this world. We love that God is so otherworldly. So we love about Him. But what's greater and beyond often necessarily will sound like Charlie Brown's teacher does. Difficult, obtuse. Now, when I read the Book of Mormon or the Koran, if if you ever read any of these things, uh, their concepts... Now, now, the actual wording of other things are quite complicated. In some cases, sound like, wow, that's, that's pretty nuts. But their concepts of the divine are actually quite simple, usually. Which really doesn't surprise me, then, that one was written in private with a made-up language, and the other was written in a cave with no witnesses, except for an angel. Because these books are very human. Too human. A timid monk named Martin Luther was transformed by the divine truths of Scripture. He used to debate with this guy named Erasmus. Erasmus, man, he was a bright dude. Very, very intelligent. Much, much better known than Martin Luther in his day. And Erasmus would make these arguments about the will of God, the free will of man, the state of the church using philosophy, right? Rationalizing and, and science alone. And then Luther would debate him. He'd be like, no, no, you're, you know, here's what, here's what you should really believe. They got in these debates, mostly in letters. And one day, Luther felt like he really discovered what was at the root of their disagreement on a number of issues. And he wrote very simply to Erasmus, your thoughts of God are too human. And friends, it takes a God to understand the Bible. And that's exactly who he gives us. When you trust your life to Jesus for salvation, he gives you the Holy Spirit. God and the Spirit to come and to dwell in you. And it is awesome. Man, it's going to tear your world apart in some ways. It has mine. But it's built, he has built something much greater out of that. All right? He gives you the Holy Spirit. And here's what, here's one of the main tasks of the Holy Spirit according to Jesus. Jesus says this in Matthew 16, verse 13. He says, when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will lead you into all truth. And this is crucial. Have anyone here ever had that experience? Right? Where you're reading something, and you're like, I do not understand this. You read it the second time, I do not understand this. And then one day, bam, you get it. Right? 
It's exciting. It's a thrilling experience. Maybe it's, yeah, for me, it's like one of the best experiences of the world. I love it. This experience is what scholars call illumination. Illumination. It's when the Holy Spirit takes an otherwise difficult concept and opens our minds and our eyes to understanding it. It doesn't happen every time. But it can happen at any time. It doesn't happen every time you read Scripture. But the more you ask for the Spirit's help, and the more you read God's Word, the more these glorious truths, these treasures of truth, will be opened up before our eyes. And it's awesome. God sometimes uses big words because He's God. And to tell you the truth, I'd have a hard time worshiping a God whose every word I could understand on my own. Right? That's why God uses big words. And He asks us to wrestle with them and to rely on His Spirit to understand them. So let's get to the second question. That's the first. For living. How are these words actually helpful for us living? Right? Because we've heard these words before. Maybe some of you grew up in Sunday school or, you know, or in a Christian school and you had to, to learn these things. And, you know, then you were tested on them. And so they're purely for the intellect. But I'm going to argue that they're very much purely and ultimately for living. In fact, I'm convinced that what you believe will sooner or later, determine how you live. Whether it's now or in the future, it will determine how you live. Now, some of these beliefs have to do with pleasure, right? Just simple pleasures. I believe if I do this, I will get this, right, for myself. And some beliefs in life are more deeply rooted. But either way, all of our actions begin with a belief. Except for breathing, I've got to throw that in. That's unconscious. We can't, can't do anything about that. Um, I'm not the only one who's convinced, though, of this truth. Here's what some people who are much, uh, much smarter than I am say. 31 years, the pastor of Southside Alliance Church in Chicago, A.W. Tozier, said this, What we believe about God is the most important thing about us. The most important thing about us determines everything. A very different guy, a very different kind of person, said nearly the same thing. Uh, not that he didn't love God and his word and, and doctrine, but a contemplative named Thomas Merton spent a lot of time in prayer and silence and solitude communing with God, which is awesome. He said, very similarly, so much depends on our idea of God. Our idea of God tells us more about ourselves than about him. Right? Very similar there, substituting idea and belief. Now, at this point you might object, look, I get to know everything I need to know about a person through their actions. Right? Actions speak louder than words. We've all heard this phrase before, right? And I would agree with you. And what I would say to that again is that ultimately those actions were fueled by belief. Some belief. 
So, the problem is, we like a shortcut. Right? We prefer quick access to what's practical rather than do the deliberate work of feeding and growing our roots, right? What we believe. We'd rather go out and buy some of that wean feed than dig up and till the soil. I know very few of us, if you're an expat here, you don't do your own gardening. So uh, that's, that's the analogy might be lost on you. But I, in my contract, uh, to save money on our place, I have to do my own gardening. And uh, I do not do any tilling of the soil. I know one person here who does, who's to, who uh, owns or co-owns a landscaping business. And, and has talked to me about that before. But it's the same way. We would rather just kind of throw out a little something. Work. Rain. Please. Right? Rather than do the hard work of getting to the roots of who we are. And it shows itself in the Christian life. Right? It's why James and Proverbs of two of the four most popular books, go-to books among Christians, right? What should I read in the Bible? Proverbs, James. Always two that come to people's minds. Why? Because they're such practical books and they're great. Don't get me wrong, they're awesome. But there's a reason we often turn to them. They're quick. What do I need to do, God? What do I need to do? Just tell me. Right? It's also the reason why when we invite people to church... What are the two things we want to say about our church? We'll attract them. It's practical and relevant to life. Right? We often don't say, it's so doctrinally sound. <laughs> you will love the beliefs of our church. Right? And no one says that. This is our tendency to care about such things. But in examining what we believe about God... J.I. Packer said, what we believe about God is the most practical project anyone can engage in. And he wrote a book about it called Knowing God. The most practical project you can engage in is forming what you believe about God. Alright. Now, if you're not convinced, I'm going to show you a diagram. Alright, it's going to prove this. Just as I did during one of my first sermons here, I'm going to dazzle you with a diagram. It's going to be amazing. It's going to blow your mind. Uh, And as you know, if it's on Wikipedia, or you see it on a diagram in PowerPoint, it is true 90% of the time. Alright? All the time. Alright, so, here's what we got. If you believe something at your core, it will affect what you value, or what you prioritize in your life. Alright? You believe something, which means you set it as a priority or a value of what you want. And when you do that, eventually, you will act according to those priorities. Alright? Now again, they might be shallow priorities. I'm not arguing that. I've got a lot of shallow priorities in my life. Watching college football was one last night, for instance. Alright? Those are one of them. So, but this, I believe, is really how life works. Now, you're still not convinced? If you say, no, no, then I will continue with my last two points. If you are convinced, I will skip. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to skip anything. All right. God's Word, another piece of evidence. How do we know this? How do we know that beliefs will eventually lead to living? We know it from God's Word. The Apostle Paul, in about half of his New Testament letters, follows this pattern. He starts by addressing beliefs, what's at the core 
Then accordingly, he talks about what you should then value in life, what you should prioritize. Then he always, always ends his letters with how you should practically behave, how you should live. He follows the beliefs, values, behavior. That's where I got it from. All right. And also a book. I cheated. All right. The best letter that does this, well, there are a number of letters to do this. Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians, also the book of Romans. And Romans is probably the best letter that lays out right doctrine, right theology, right beliefs about God and his plan for us. If you are a Protestant, right, or an evangelical Christian, you believe that God's word is sufficient for life and living, then you owe a ton to Martin Luther, I mentioned him earlier, reading and rereading the book of Romans. Alright? It changed everything about history. Not just like church history, Christian history. History in general. I mean, printing presses were invented because Martin Luther read the book of Romans. And Romans follows the same pattern. I want to show you real quickly up on the screen here. Chapters 1 through 9, he talks about right beliefs. Specifically, he gets into salvation, past, present, future. The next two chapters, chapters 10 through, sorry, 9 through 10, sorry, 10 through 11, he talks about values and priorities. Because of salvation, he wants to share that salvation with others. It's become a priority for him to share it with other people. Right? He wants to especially share it with his own people, the Jewish people. And he also prioritizes all of God's promises, past and present. Finally, last chapters 11 through, excuse me, 12 through 16, behavior, living, is what he gets into. So that's kind of the idea or, or, or the outline of the book of Romans, sort of in a nutshell there. So what we're going to do each week. We're going to look at one word from the first nine chapters of the book of Romans and explain it. Alright? And my hope is to show, not only to explain it, but to show how it is crucial for living. These words, which we thought have just been crucial for memorizing or for, really, or for Bible nerds, they're actually crucial for living. And here's the bonus for you guys. You're going to be excited about this. Bring your cell phones. Because these words are big words. Right? They're hard words. They're going to elicit a lot of questions, God willing. So I want you to bring your cell phone to church. And what pastor says that? Right? Bring your cell phone. Turn it on. They don't. Usually pastors want to throw those cell phones in a bucket of water. All right? Um, we're very angry people. So bring them, though. Bring them. And during the sermon or one of the last worship songs, you can text in a question you have about that word. All right, and we're going to spend the last 10 minutes, I'm going to shorten the sermons, and spend the last 10 minutes just doing a little question and answer for us. All right, so that will be kind of our format of what we're going to do over the next number of weeks. Okay, I know I'm hammering this point home slash beating a dead horse, but my hope is that you will see and become convinced for yourself about the primary importance of beliefs for living like Jesus. And so I have one more. One more evidence, and that is experience. We know that beliefs will eventually determine our behavior or our living because of experience. My eldest son, I'm going to share two stories in application here. My eldest son, uh, Mason, 
started his first week of kindergarten this past week, right? Uh, teachers, students, and parents alike began their first week of school this last week. And I say parents because we parents, we are the cattle ranchers, right? Our job is to pull into the ranch slash parking lot where parents are prodding their herd into the right places, right? Lest they roam everywhere, right? You hear the noises, like, where's my child? Get him in. And so we brand them. We brand them with backpacks and iron-on labels for that reason, right? And so this was happening this last week. And along the way, I struck up conversation with some parents and one in particular stood out. I was speaking with this mom who was sharing about how uh, her oldest son, a teenager, had chosen with her parents' support to go to a tough, really disciplined school uh, back in the United States. All right, and they, including uh, this young man's brother, who's only a year apart from him, a year younger than him, left him behind when they came back from summer break. They came back, came in from the States. And she was telling me about this and just being away from her, her child. And I felt that questioning look about to come on my face. I don't know, you had that one where you're like, you're like listening to it and then you're wondering, is that the right decision? Right? And I had that admittedly come to my face. I, I wear my emotions on my sleeve, unfortunately. And she just looked me in the eye with an almost supernatural peace and said, you know, we really believe this is the best thing for him. And when she said it, I mean, I just believed her. I, you could tell she genuinely believed this. The best thing for her son. Even though he was so far away. And I started considering, maybe you consider with me, how that changed the way she lived. Right? Her oldest son, away during critical years of her, his life. But if believing was the best thing for him, instead of worrying about him and demonstrating that worry through pestering him with constant communication, right? instead of looking for affirmation with anyone she talked to, right? oh, I need someone else to affirm this is the right decision. I need someone else to affirm it. Instead of ignoring her other children, you know, slightly while she worried so deeply about her oldest child, she was able to live in the now, right? And rest securely because she believed. It changed how she lived. Does that make sense? We know this from our lives. I want to give you an example from my own living. I walked up to a friend this past week and uh, apologized to them. Rare for me. Uh, I'm a, I'm a, I have a lot of pride in my life. They were trying something new for Jesus. All right? and, and I was genuinely worried for them. I was worried if they were ready to do this thing for Christ. Alright? And when they let me know about it, all I did was kind of question them. You know what I mean? Like, are you sure of this? Have you thought about this? What about this? Right? Instead of giving them support. Support that I was in a good position to lend them. So I apologized. You know, I said, you know, I, yeah, I didn't encourage you. I... I feel like I tore you down, if anything. And something interesting happened. No doubt with good intentions, this person replied, 
Hey, don't let yourself be convicted. Right? Don't let yourself be convicted. And I know this was said of good intentions, right? Don't beat yourself up, this sort of thing. Now this happens all the time. Jesus asks us to believe some pretty radical promises and follow through on them. And we're even challenged on this by people with good intentions. So I have jokingly, this is my friend, so I have jokingly replied, quoting Jesus, what he said to Peter. Get behind me, Satan. I said that to him, right? He understood. Um, and then I, I seriously said, look, man, you know, I got to follow the Holy Spirit's conviction, right? Now, I need to look, give a little background because this is a kind of a unique scenario. Last week, I preached on King Asa and his sin rehabilitation. And the main point was that the key to growth, the key to Christian growth, isn't focusing in so much on not sinning, but rather to focus in on how we respond to sin. And so I've been studying and praying about this truth from God's Word leading up to this encounter. And to be honest with you guys, I don't know if I otherwise would have had a strong enough conviction to follow through on it. You know what I mean? If I hadn't been studying it, I hadn't been looking at it in God's Word, I'm not sure I would have followed through with it. And, but I, I felt like I had to believe that the way I responded to sin was crucial to growth. Right? In this case, admitting sin to somebody else, receiving God's forgiveness in someone else. Someone else's. But admittedly, would I have done it otherwise if I hadn't been thinking about it, if I hadn't preached on it, hadn't been praying about it? Yeah, probably not. So you could say I kind of cheated, right? Because if it's a real conviction, something you really believe, it would stay with you always. It's kind of true. And while I wished I believed with this kind of conviction all the time, this provides us with a huge lesson. A huge lesson about beliefs that I want us to walk away with this morning. And that is this. Our beliefs need constant reinforcing. Our beliefs need constant reinforcing. Jesus doesn't say much about our enemy. You know, we have an enemy. Satan. The adversary. And Jesus doesn't say a lot about him. He mentions him a lot, but doesn't give a lot of description. But in one of his most detailed descriptions in all the Gospels, here's what Jesus says. This is from John chapter 8. Verse 44. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. In the beginning, Satan, disguised as a serpent, killed. He brought about death by convincing mankind, right, Adam and Eve, to alter their beliefs about God, right? They believed that God was good. That was their whole experience about God. He gave them things. He is good. Satan attacked that by belief, by lying. Is God really good? No, he's not good. He doesn't want you to eat. He doesn't want you to eat of this. Then what happens? So death enters the world. Death enters the world when this false belief gives rise to disobeying God. 
See, that belief, in this case a false belief, God may not be good, gave rise to the action, taking that forbidden fruit, right? The only thing God commanded for them not to do, he took. And death came into the world. Satan murdered by killing beliefs through lies. And that's how he still works today. He murders, he kills our souls by killing unbelief through lies. Jesus' description is right on, I think. Lying is his native language. I love the way Jesus says that. Lying is his native language. Now you, you and I speak English, right? That's our native language, right? You and I speak English, at least mostly. There's certain uh, of my South African friends who speak a strange, made-up language that really has no rhyme or reason. Come on, let's be honest. Right? And I see it riddled all over Facebook. I'm like, what? I don't know what you're saying. Someone just had a baby and it's like, I don't know. What's going on? Right? But most of us speak English. It's a requirement for, for, for living in the Cayman Islands. Uh, the average human being speaks six to 9,000 words a day. Six to 9,000, depending on if you're male or female. All right? <laughs> and that's actually true. And I'm not saying that. <laughs> that's an Ivy League study right there. But seriously, assuming Satan and his minions speak at least the same volume as we humans do, imagine six to 9,000 lies a day. That is his native language. Six to 9,000 just to give you a visual. We're bombarded with these. Bombarded with these untruths. We see it all around us, right? And we question. We say, who am I? Who am I really? And who am I supposed to be? What am I supposed to care about? What am I supposed to kind of give myself to? He's working. Lying to us about beliefs. So friends, if Satan's greatest belief-killing weapon is lies, then our greatest weapon is truth to reinforce beliefs. Our greatest weapon is truth to reinforce our beliefs. Which means, friends, we have got to get serious about memorizing God's Word. This is how people like Paul and other, others in the Bible fought off lies in the course of their daily lives. Right? They didn't necessarily have a Bible wide open, but they had their word, or God's word, hidden in their hearts. And I know, who actually memorizes scripture these days? I get it. A lot of us have kids, or we're busy, or working late hours. I'm just trying to follow Jesus. I understand that. But don't you want to fight for Christ? Don't you want to fight for your beliefs, knowing that your enemy it's working against you. Saying, oh man, come on. God's word. That's just lazy talk. Lazy talk to make that excuse. Grab an index card and a pen. Alright? Write down Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. Start there. I write it down. Get a piece of tape. Stick it on your steering wheel. Alright? When you're driving to work. Or stick it on your bathroom mirror. Alright? This is what uh, I do. I, I take... Uh, one of my memory verses I put on the bathroom mirror and I rotate it each day. Because what else are you going to do while you're brushing your teeth? Right? 
You can think about like the day, blah, 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 my mind wanders. Reinforce what's true. Katie's been playing this uh, kind of family worship CD around the house lately. It's really great. It's called Seeds. And it's really well done. I'm going to try to get some uh, for our back table. Uh, it's not real sing-songy. You know what I mean? With a lot of kids' songs. Where you're like, gather around the fire. Da, da, da. It's not real sing-songy. And that, nothing wrong with that. But it's just scripture. And, it, and it's not like, you know, real weird scripture. It's like one or two verses per song. And it's really well done. And the purpose of it is for kids to memorize scripture. Alright, and it's having me memorize scripture, because I'm hearing it all the time. This is a great tool. If you've got kids, I want to encourage you, instead of putting on U2, you know, around the house, or, or uh, Katy Perry, uh, you know, put, put on seats. Alright? You can actually listen to it for free online. Uh, www.seedsfamilyworship.net Seedsfamilyworship.net Listen online for free. Our kids love it. And admittedly, I do too. Just, hey, just remember, if you're going to reference God's Word, remember the right book and verse. That's crucial. I remember hearing this story once of a woman whose small group was making this quilt. It was a baby quilt to give as a gift to a pregnant woman. And when she worked on her square, she wanted to write out the reference to the Scripture that said, Keep me as the apple of your eye. That's what the Scripture said. Now, thinking that was Psalm 116, 3... She stitched that in, right? She had to stitch in that, that, that verse, that reference. And uh, she checked her verse uh, against her memory right before they gave the quilt to this pregnant woman. And you can imagine her horror when she read Psalm 116.3, which says, The cords of death entangle me. The anguish of the grave came upon me. I was overcome by trouble and sorrow. This is not a verse you want to give someone who's about to have a child. It's bad. So please, know the verse and the chapter. Thankfully, she, she undid the stitching. I think it was well. But the fact that our beliefs need constant reinforcement is also the answer for those of us who might be looking at Romans and the series come up and thinking, man, basics of the faith. Basic beliefs. I've been there, done that. I've heard it so many times. Well, when you combine your tendency to rebel with your greatest enemy waging a persistent spiritual war at the very roots of our lives, our beliefs, man, I pray you're motivated. I pray you're motivated to hear and to listen to those beliefs again because our beliefs, friends, need constant reinforcing in order to live for Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we're a father, we're a young church. And not just in many, the many years, uh, three years or whatever we've been around, but also, Lord, immaturities. A lot of us are young. Um, Lord, either we're new to our faith in Christ, nothing wrong with that, it's just where we're at. Or we're young in our faith and eager to grow. I met so many people here just eager to grow, to learn from you and your word. And Lord, frankly, we have a young pastor and me as well. Lord, we need these right beliefs. We need to start at the roots, God, and be nourished there. If not to learn them, to reinforce us 
so we might live well for Jesus. And God, we don't have to jump all around for that. The great thing is that your word is sufficient. We can open up the Bible, read a book of the Bible, and it can give us everything we need. And so we're doing that in the book of Romans. Jesus, I pray for this series that you would help us reinforce what we believe or introduce us what we should believe, that we might not just let it be there for knowledge. We might live for you, Jesus, as a result. This is all in Jesus' name. Amen.